0: Hey folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Anthony Skinner, I'm the producer of the show, and we are really happy that you have joined us today. We have a, another wonderful guest, Ben Higgins. Uh, man, I just like like this guy immediately. Best known for his uh, season 20 appearance on ABC's hit series, The Bachelor. Millions of people were watching that, so I'm sure many of you were. Um, so, yeah, his sort of celebrity took off like a rocket, and uh, he's used his enhanced platform since to, uh, to really dive into things that he's passionate about, his faith, his hope for humanity, and his love of sports. In 2017, he co-founded Generous International. It's a four-purpose company dedicated to contributing profits to social issues around the world, starting with a cup of coffee. And he also has his hit podcast, Almost Famous, with iHeartMedia, which he uh, shares co-hosting duties with Ashley Iconetti. So uh, you guys should check that out. They've got over 80 million downloads, which is amazing. So grateful for our guests who continue to be so self-disclosing and vulnerable in such a way to be helpful for our listeners. So we really, truly appreciate that. And Ben Higgins is no different. Um, He is an Enneagram 4, and uh, you're going to enjoy this episode, regardless of what number you are. So without any further ado, let's get to Ben and your host, Ian Cron.
1: Ben Higgins, welcome to Typology.
2: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Uh, I am so delighted that you are here because, uh, in the short time that we've known each other, uh, we share a type and a wing and it sounds like the type we share and, uh, is not only the same, but the strength of our wing sounds like it's the same. So we're going to get into some serious stuff before we go, before this thing's over.
2: I uh, am um, yeah, looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, man. Listen, um, I don't want to assume, even though a gajillion people watched The Bachelor, right? Mm-hmm. I, I can't make the assumption that every single one of my listeners watched The Bachelor, right? So can in, a, in as brief a way as you can or as you like, can you just explain to folks what the show is? And then we're going to jump right into your type.
2: Yeah, definitely. So there's this uh, reality television show where uh, a bunch of people show up to a mansion in Los Angeles. And they are dating the lead. So if you're on The Bachelorette, it's like 30 guys dating one girl. If you're on The Bachelor, then it's one guy and 30 girls and they're pursuing the man. Now, I was uh, lucky enough to be able to do both <laughs> in my life. <laughs>
1: I was about to say, it's, it sounds like my life in the 1980s, but we don't have to go there. Um. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, so that is that is my past. It's... uh. You know, if, if you don't watch the show, that's great. I, uh, I think we can still be really good friends. Um, but the, yeah, so I did that in my mid-20s. I started when I, I'm 31 now. So I was 25 when I did the first show, rolled in and was still 25, turned 26 as The Bachelor. Uh, ended up engaged off of The Bachelor. Uh, that relationship lasted about two years. We broke up and now Uh, I am again, uh, I'm very happily engaged, uh, now to a beautiful human in Franklin, Tennessee. Yeah. She's like a hometown
0: or not a hometown girl, but she lives here. Right. That's right. Yeah. That's great. All right. Well, the next time you're here, we expect a free
1: lunch.
2: That's right. (laughs) It sounds good to me.
1: (laughs) All right. So. The big reveal, of course, which is not a bigger re- such a big reveal now because most of our listeners know my type, is that you are an Enneagram Four with a strong three wing.
2: Mm-hmm. I am, yeah, and you don't meet many of us, I don't think, right?
1: Um, well, I live in Nashville, so okay. where there's a lot of artists, mm. uh, and so I meet we meet our share of fours. Trust me, uh, they're they're all head down. You know, wandering the streets, <laughs> writing songs in their heads, and uh, and thinking about Lord knows what. Uh, except that it's probably very sad. Um, how did you learn your type, and what was it as you learned about the individualists, right, or sometimes uh-huh. called the romantics? Um, what was it about that type, like that you learned, that you said, "Oh yeah, man, that's me for sure."
2: Yeah, I, you know, it's an interesting story too. I was, I, and the show always has a, the show is, I feel like, kind of like a foundational like launching point for me understanding myself better because I never really had to. And then you go on the show and everybody watches it and then they all have a, a critique, a criticism, something to say about you. And the more and more I was hearing those things, the more and more I started to understand myself better, quite mm-hmm. honestly. And at some point, uh, uh, a buddy of mine within the church had said, hey, you should take the Enneagram. I think it's going to give you a clearer picture of, of who you are. This um, is while you're on the show. Right after the show. So the show had just aired. I was really struggling with these like massive like self-realization moments, like many of them back to back to back to back. And I grew up in a small town in Indiana. My worldview world was very small. I had a lot of curiosity, uh, like a, re- a lot. I still have just a lot of curiosity and I felt, I don't know, I, I don't know if this is going to come off right, but I felt my curiosity was at sometimes at odds with my faith, um, mm. meaning I was always so curious that it was hard for me just to take things for what they were being said to me. And that was getting to be really hard uh, internally for me. And so he said, how about you take an Enneagram I think you're going to understand yourself better. And I think you're actually going to come to like uh, appreciate yourself more. And so I took uh, the test uh, and reading it came back. Like, I mean the things that really spoke to me, I think the major one is that when I'm at my weakest, which feels more often than probably I desire, I do feel like the out, the kid on the outside of the window looking at the party that he wasn't invited to just wishing I could be there or feeling almost like a lot of my counseling in life has been this, this, uh, Truman Show uh, fear that the joke is on me, that everybody's mm. in on something that I'm not in on. Mm. And those two things, understanding that and understanding that I wasn't the only one that felt that way, um, I think was helpful. I don't know if it's like solved any problems, but it was very helpful for me.
1: Right. So, how torturous was it to be on The Bachelor and you have this feeling that you are, you have spent your whole life exactly. with your nose pressed against the glass, looking in on the party of life, not having received an invitation? Uh, did you not feel this incredible chasm uh, between that experience externally and your internal experience of yourself?
2: Yeah, in you know, 100%. I mean, one of the interesting things now that the show tells me, and I have a good relationship with the show still, uh, that the producers originally were really not a fan of me, not because they didn't like me or that I was mean. What ended up happening was when I went on to the show, I spent the first two weeks napping often, um, escaping wherever I could to find uh, some type of peace and normalcy and get away from the cameras, get away from whatever was happening, like leaving and doing it because for two reasons. One was I was just really tired, um, like overly exhausted, not because filming's exhausting, just because like the, the environment was so consuming and I had so many emotions trying to be processed that I couldn't function. The second is one that I've recently kind of figured out was I was so nervous that they were actually going to like understand me. And once they learned who I was, that I wouldn't be there any longer, and so I hid, thinking the longer I hide, the more, the longer I could be there. Because as soon as I show up, and as soon as I'm really me, well, nobody's going to appreciate it. Nobody's going to like it. Nobody's going to want me around. And so I hid. Uh, so the the battle during the show, I, I, I guess, and and I say all this now because I've been able to process it. At the time, I didn't recognize it or realize it was going on. I, I didn't. I wasn't at the time going, oh yeah, because I'm a four. This is hard for me. It was just like. No, this is hard for me, and I have no clue why.
1: Yes. Mm. Yes. Um, that You have just said three things about fours that are almost out of a textbook.
0: Okay.
2: okay.
1: The, the first one would be fours, particularly when they don't know they're fours, when they haven't gained that self-awareness, right? Uh, are flooded with feelings and th- there are times when there-, there are so many feelings, they don't know which one to pick out mm-hmm. and either talk about or examine first. Mm. You're just being fl- it's like flooded, Yeah. right? Um, the second thing that you said that really struck me was this whole idea about people understanding you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the big frustration for me as a four and from all the fours that I know is that we desperately want to be understood, but we feel like we'll never be understood, which by the way, explains why for sometimes don't know how to stop telling people what is going on inside them. You know, it's like after a while people are like, okay, we get it. And we're like, no, no, actually I need one more metaphor to tell you what I'm feeling like, you know? Uh, Is that your experience or?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's my experience because I think you know, it's funny. I oftentimes I tell them the feelings that I'm feeling inside and, and most of the times, um, people respond with, you shouldn't feel that way. Or, you know, if I'm feeling like the outside looking in and people like, what are you talking about? Like you're on a show with millions of people watching you and like, you're, you're here now. So like, uh, and so it's, it's either them telling me like, Hey, I get it and me probably responding with no you don't yet because i don't personally feel like this has been solved yet or you understand me to a level that that i desire you to know me
1: Mm. right so force uh one of their sort of hallmark features is authenticity right like we are generally people who are very hung up on being original uh and who we really are and we have very little patience for people who aren't authentic right and I'm just thinking about a reality show like The Bachelor. I'm actually thinking about anything on television, right? Actually, uh and in the entertainment world where authenticity may be not the number one thing that people value. You know what I'm saying? So how well suited for a reality show like The Bachelor were you as a four?
2: Uh I think there's I think there's definitely pros to being a four and going on the show. One is I think the, the authenticity piece, uh, helped because I wanted the, the connections and the relationships to be authentic to whatever level they could. Now, not all of them are going to be romantic. Um, but a lot of the, you know, I'm hearing these women's hardest stories of life. Uh, the things that have affected them the most things that have changed them the most. And for me, for lack of a better term, like that was enjoyable. Like I, I appreciated those moments. I, wanted to sit within those moments with them. I I, maybe just out of ego and pride, like I felt like I had a responsibility as the bachelor to hear them, to see them, and to let them know they weren't alone. Um, I do think though, you get a common thing in in reality television and I'm learning now more and more in life. There's one really, like people ask me what my biggest pet peeve is and uh, what can really set me off. And uh, and I've came to, to understand that it's like self describing, and I wonder if that's the thing with a four. Like when somebody comes to me, and they go, "I'm the most honest person. I'm just like one of those people that you can always trust. I'm, I, you know, I I such a good friend. My biggest weakness is I care too much. Like that is a massive turnoff to me in all in all ways, uh, in all relationally in relationship ways. And I think as the Bachelor, I heard that more and more. Like I heard people self describing, and it really it started to frustrate me and it started, to, I guess, uh, if I'm honest, like I started to dismiss those people based on that. Uh, and I, and I'm recognizing that now, like my, I dismiss people who describe themselves because I just want, I just want them to show me who they are. I don't want them mm-hmm. to have to tell me, I want this to be a real true thing where I go, you are a incredibly caring person. I don't want them to have to tell me they are.
1: Right. I, I understand that. Uh, first of all, because there's a little bit of me that's,
2: Hmm.
1: Appropriately skeptical, number one, right? I think there are, I don't believe that cynicism is a good thing, but I just think appropriate skepticism in life is a, a, actually a really good thing. Otherwise, being naive is not a good way to walk around the world, right? Mm. Um, but I think with fours, we might hear that and think if you have to tell me you're authentic, chances are you're not.
2: Mm hmm. You know Just what my I mean? response.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like, yeah, if you got to tell me you're authentic, chances are you aren't. We always talk, we've talked about this on the show a couple of times that we think there's a big difference between being authentic and being transparent.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, people who are transparent, you get this feeling like they're sharing deep stuff mm-hmm. with you about themselves, but it's a little contrived. Mm-hmm. It, it's a little scripted, it feels like, whereas when someone's being authentic, you can feel their heart racing you can feel their anxiety about what they're telling you uh, because they're being so legitimately vulnerable in the moment mm-hmm. and uh, as a four who has a lot of empathy I all fours do that signals me that this person's being real right um, and that's a gift to have that's our superpower is empathy
2: yeah yeah it's interesting because you know, as I as I think I do look back on life, um, I'm I'm comfortable in those moments too, and and I don't know if I do well in them. Uh, you'd have to ask one of my friends or somebody that has confided in me. But those moments don't scare me. Um, right. They they're it, uh, almost you know these are pretty terrible analogies, but they almost feel like they're my Super Bowl. Like when somebody comes to me with a deep seated fear or story or just problem that they have to work through like in those moments i know it like i almost like feel internally like i have to step up to the plate here where i think maybe some other personalities i know not that they run not that they don't care but they're not comfortable in those that that would exhaust them for me those actually in a sense like energize me because i feel like that's where life is is actually being felt
0: and being
2: consumed
1: Okay, so I, ha- I don't think I've ever told you this, Anthony, but Ben, see, th- I bet you this might, you-, you could probably put yourself in my shoes and uh, resonate with this. So when I was a pastor, I had to do weddings and funerals, right? I hated doing weddings. I hated it. Uh, I, for, for so many reasons. Number one, uh, it was in Greenwich, Connecticut, where most weddings felt more like coronations than weddings you know what I mean, like they were over the top. Uh, same thing would be true in LA, you know, it's just like, oh my gosh, this is obscene, you know. Uh, and you're just kind of in, uh, no one ever remember, no one's really listening to you as, as the priest or pastor at a church and you're doing a wedding, no one's listening to you. They have their cameras up, they're watching the bride, you know what I'm saying, like, you are just a piece of the furniture, even though, in my opinion, at least during that service, People should be listening, right? Hmm. I loved doing funerals. Hmm. I loved doing funerals. Now, I don't love people dying, but here's the deal. In that space, we call it liminal space, Mm -hmm. right? Where where you are at an inflection point in people's lives. Like being with someone when a baby is being born, uh, at a funeral, uh, someplace like that, I feel so comfortable and I feel like, first of all, at a funeral, everybody's listening. Mm. They're listening really closely to what you're saying. And I know, I think all fours know how to step into those spaces that other people feel uncomfortable in and go, this is where I shine. Mm. Like, I know how to do these feelings and I know how to help these people do these feelings. and. This is what I was made
2: for. That's good. I have a, I have a question then, um, because a wedding is a celebration. There's a lot of joy behind it. A funeral is oftentimes, uh, you know, surrounded and comforted by pain and loss. You know, I feel in life most connected to others through shared pains. It's yes. really hard for me personally to. I can celebrate somebody. But I can't, I honestly, I cannot look back on a time where celebrations moved me to tears or I can't think back on a time where celebrations made me feel closer to anybody. I enjoy it. It's fun for me to be there. But like sitting in somebody's pains, sitting in my pain, sitting in someone else's pains, those are moments I can point out and say that's like I've connected with my, the closest people in my life through those moments Mm -hmm. and not as much the opposite.
1: I I 100% agree, and I would tell you that I've had guests on the show who are, let's say, sevens,
2: mm-hmm.
1: who would say precisely the opposite, Totally, right? They they would hear what you and I are saying right now, and they would be like, you are from Mars, man. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of my best friends is a seven. He loves your podcast, he listens to it all the time because he's trying to figure himself out. And like, yeah, the, the ways we, feel things and things that we look forward to so opposite so different it's interesting
0: well can i say something real quick what you just said about the way you started i can't ever remember you know celebrating to the point where i was moved to tears and my wife is a four. I'm a four, and it's funny. Sometimes we slip into rating the success or failure of something, whether it's a movie or somebody speaking or a song. Of oh yeah, everybody was moved to tears. It's like <laughs> yeah, it's like. <laughs> so Ben, check this out. Yeah.
1: People know this story, but it's true. I um, one New Year's Eve asked my son where he wanted to be. We- we were in a town where we didn't know anybody. And I was like, hey, man, let's go see the movies. And he said, yeah, okay, let's go to the movies. And I, he said, you pick. So I took him to see Manchester by the Sea. Oh, okay? no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My son is a seven.
0: On New Year's uh... Eve.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh... So I am... Bawling my brains out, and I'm thinking this is so beautifully acted. The script is exquisite. The ending is so true to how life really is. I feel so moved, (laughs) and my son (laughs) is looking at me like this is torture. You have, have, and it's New Year's Eve.
2: Yeah, (laughs) it's
1: New Year's Eve. Okay, and so that's that's where. I mean, people look at fours, I think, and I think a lot, I think just about every number on the Enneagram looks at fours and they think to themselves, that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I think it's why we're, in, you know, fours and eights are probably the two most misunderstood numbers mm-hmm. on the Enneagram.
2: Yeah. Is there, uh, you know, I, I think one of the big questions that I've always had then is, if I'm misunderstood, how can I help people understand because the more I do that, the more misunderstood I think I become.
1: Precisely, and I'm not sure I've heard a four say it better. Mm. Um, so one of the things I think fours have to do, and, and I, I think it takes some time, is just accept that you will always be a mystery to yourself and every other yeah. person in the world. Yeah. Uh, just when you think that you have gotten to the bottom of who a four is, you realize there is no bottom. <laughs> <laughs> in other words, There's just so many layers of complexity, Uh, and it's one of the reasons why I always tell fours, and I did this even in my book, uh, I've never met a four in my life that I didn't say, get thee to counseling, Mm -hmm. because you need to be with someone on a regular basis that you are trying to describe yourself to, Mm -hmm. or you will try and do it with everybody, including the mailman.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You know what I mean? Uh, because it's almost as though we're processing aloud, trying to figure it out for ourselves while someone witnesses it, you yeah. know? Uh, which doesn't always make for great... Rela- it can make for people thinking, uh, boy, that person is very self-involved, mm-hmm. when that's not necessarily the case. It's just like, we're just trying to figure it out, man.
2: It's funny. I uh, I host a, a podcast for iHeartRadio. It's a pop culture podcast. Like, it should be it really fun, like, just, like, listen to it when you're trying to get caught up on all the crazy celebrity gossip. And my co-host is awesome. She knows it all, and I know none of it, so she, like, teaches me it. And the biggest criticism I ever get on it, we've done it for three years, is that, like, I I take it to, like, I'm always trying to take it to a level that's, like, a little too deep like just yes like, yes like me hosting a like all of a sudden all will rant about the like <laughs> turmoils and depth of somebody's like romantic relationship when people on the podcast yes! just are like yeah. they broke up like leave it there move on and yep. I'm like, but no, like how, no no <laughs> it's really interesting and I and I I think honestly in a sense like it's comical I think people listeners would find it comical on that podcast Like when I do that, because like, yeah, that's just what I crave to do. It's what I feel like is worth, like like is worthwhile to do. But instead they're just like, stop talking so much about the depths of this thing and just move on. It's great. Yeah, it's funny. (laughs) That's a classic forward a party. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, in fact,
1: sometimes I hope people who invite me to parties don't think this, but but, or take this personally, but I can sometimes go to a party and everyone's like just having the time of their lives and stuff. Yeah. And like you, I can, I, even though I had this extroverted side to me, I need to spend a lot of time alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can go to parties and I can feel so awkward. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And sort of like kind of half present. And uh, in some ways, I, I'm almost five-ish when I'm at a party. You know, it's like I kind of want to get away once it's, okay, I think I've been here long enough that it's not impolite for me to leave
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, because I can't find a deep enough conversation with somebody. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like everybody, I mean, for example, for you, if I were you as a four, and, and I, and I realize we've already spoken about The Bachelor, if, if all people wanted to talk to me about was The Bachelor, I would jump off of a roof. Mm-hmm. Have you ever felt that way?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. This <laughs> is five years. And uh, I think in five years, there's not a day that goes by. There's not something about The Bachelor that I respond to or, like, have to talk about. Which, you know, I get it. I signed up for it. It's a big part of my life. But, um, yes. Like, uh, I mean, I feel the same way. And then think about this. You know, I walked into a party already feeling a little awkward. Already feeling like, hey, I'm just trying to, like, kind of weasel my way in here and like find the right place that I feel most comfortable or find the right conversation I can at least exist in. And then like now a lot of the attention is on me to talk about a show and like Mm -hmm. live up to an expectation from a show that I can't live up to. But I feel then like I leave most social environments disappointing the masses, Mm. um, especially when they're, you know, a meet and greet or a bachelor focused deal because I'm not Reaching their expectation of who I am and I and I feel that deeply now It can even be down to a smaller party just a little dinner get-together if I'm not reaching the expectation Like I feel that deeply and I don't brush it off easily. Like I I, and so as a result I become more and more introverted and I stay farther and farther away from those events because Too consistently they make me feel worse about myself because I know I'm not matching what they hope for.
1: Oh Mm-hmm. Well, I think you know if you were a little bit older, we'd be twins. Um, uh, you're describing my life in a way that's making me uncomfortable for the first time on this show. Um, you have a book. Yeah, we, we, you what's that?
2: I don't want to do that.
1: <laughs> I don't no, want to make that, a book. No, no, no. That's fantastic. Um, so you got a book coming out, 2021. The title is so four that it's unbelievable. It's called "Alone in Plain Sight," which is what you just described. There it is, Ben Higgins. Four Alone. <laughs> there is a four face. That right is a four there. face with a four title. Wow. A four face with a four title. Oh my gosh! Alone. Did you pick that title, or did the publisher pick it?
2: Uh, um, uh both actually. My my dream title was a title called "Reconnected," and it just didn't fit. And so right. Alone in Plain Sight was a mutual decision to kind of make the, the thread of the of the book a little more present. Um, so it was like the second choice for me.
1: Okay. Why was Reconnected the first one? That's what I want to know.
2: I just felt like it was more catchy. Like, honestly, like just easier to consume. I, like, had this picture of a title. And so the whole book is about um, connection with people, connection uh, romantically, connection with yourself, and connection with God. And I just thought reconnecting was the right, was the right works. It kept coming up in right. the book um, that we need, we need to reconnect. We're actually not, not connected. We just need to reconnect.
1: So, uh, you have described during the course of this interview, the feeling of being alone in plain sight.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And, um, I'm wondering how it is because you've described a lot about what it's like to be a four, but you've also described a lot of what a four has to work on to get past. Mm -hmm. In other words, there are a few numbers on the Enneagram that I think have to learn how to get over themselves more than fours. And what I mean by themselves is they have to get over their self, capital S, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Where are you on the healing journey then of getting over your large S
2: self? Good question. Well, you know, I want to say all of this and I feel like it's important to preface with, um, I don't want anybody to feel bad for me. Like I think oftentimes I come off in interviews and I sit down like I did on this one. I say, Hey, this is, this is a moment that I need to just respond with what I know to be true. And I'm not Mm -hmm. like, I don't need to come here and talk to you and, uh, and twist anything or try to get a message across. Like I don't, I didn't sit down with a plan on what I was going to say, and and that's that's fun for me. I don't get to do that very often. It's it's enjoyable, but because of that, I think oftentimes, like as I speak vulnerability, that often comes off as sad. Like I think most, yeah. I think sevens will listen to this and be like, that poor guy. Like that dude is just like I know, depressed and sad, and he can't figure himself out. Like I, I function fine. Like I'm good. I don't want you to feel bad for me. Um, but I have a lot of healing to do and a lot of things to figure out. And so I've been in counseling. Um, geez, since March of this year consistently, which is the first time in probably, uh, I think before that I had taken about eight months off. Um, my ego is pretty big, man. It's pretty big. Uh, I, I think about myself often if I'm honest, um, I, I, at my weakest, like this is goes even deeper than me feeling, uh, like the outsider looking at the room, like this is that when I'm at my absolute weakest, I feel like I should be the center of everybody's attention. And I don't get why I'm not, that everybody mm. should be catering to the things that I feel, the things that I need. And now I'm engaged, right? With a, right. an amazing human. And I think being engaged has taught me and shown me more consistently, like that that's just unhealthy. Uh, it's not actually what I want for her to be doing at all. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to be the center of her attention all the time. Uh, and that when I start to feel that way, usually my expectations for her are unhealthy and, and hurt our relationship. And so I started to identify this, it, it's as I've identified it though, it just made me recognize how, how many of my relationships, um, I, uh, hmm. I've been pushing people to focus on me so often that I think I've, that I've hurt my, uh, my friendships, my family relationships in the process. Um, and so I, I, where am I in that journey? I'm recognizing it. I'm trying to work through it. And I would say that, uh, I'm, I'm getting less reactionary in my emotions and I'm taking, uh, more time to think through how I should respond. What it is I should be feeling, um, instead of just reacting and jumping on like difficult situation and be like, wait, why don't they care about me more?
1: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Well, yeah, man, I think for every number on the Enneagram, for everybody in life, a huge step is to move out of the state of reactivity into the space of responsiveness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Reactivity is, you know, always an accident waiting to happen. Uh, Whereas the ability to take what I call the sacred pause and in that space decide how I'm going to respond. Even if it takes three seconds mm-hmm. or someone may say something or do something. As a four, someone may say something my, you know, my stomach falls or I feel bad and I stop and I go, okay, what story am I telling myself right now? What interpretation have I come up with of that person's words? Which is always negative, right? that i need Mm -hmm. to let go of right now
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know uh and i think fours it's ironic with the ego thing because fours both have a big ego and don't have a big ego i mean in the sense of how i say this a lot of times we feel an inflated ego because we feel that we're the best at being the worst
2: yeah Hmm. yeah, it's a good way to say it yes you know well,
0: I think and you've said this before, too, Ian. It's like as a four, we deal with so much shame. Yes. And you either demand yourself to be more than human. You want to be more than human. And when you realize you can't be more than human, you immediately go to, I'm less than human. Hmm. Instead of just, no, I'm actually just human. I'm not more than human. I'm not less than human. But we seem to fluctuate. We run to both sides of the of that street. Yeah. You know?
1: So I have a I have a sponsor in my 12-step uh, recovery program. And he, he is amazing. And he's like, Ian. I want you to find a seat in the middle of the boat. Right, <laughs> you know? he says. Right. You go from one end of the boat to the other. Just sit with everybody else in the middle of the boat. Okay, yes. don't don't try to go to the prow. Don't go to the bow, man. Just find the middle and be happy. Just be a worker among workers, it's and good. don't worry about. Because when I was growing up, especially, like I always had this feeling like I had to be more than everybody else just mm-hmm. to be equal.
2: Yeah, that's it's mean, interesting. I. I uh hope oh, maybe a year ago I went uh, on a conference to a conference and it was just for my own personal sake, right? It was just me going to, right. for, for me. And I went into it, I said, okay, before I got there, I said, you are just going to be an att- attendee. Like this is, and you're, that's your role. You're going to be an attendee. You're going <laughs> to consume this information. Um, yes. And I went into it with that. I, I can't tell you within 24 hours, I was feeling this massive amount of anxiety like you you've got to show up here. You're just you're just walking through, you're not you're not leading this, you're not um sit, you're you're not uh helping anybody. Uh, you're not even sitting in anything. You're just like going to this event, and you're going back to your hotel room, and within 24 hours I felt so much anxiety that I had to make like I had to start building groups at the dinners so that like we could break down the sessions just so I felt like I was doing something valuable and I wasn't just attending, but I was actually enhancing the experience for me and others. And I left and I was like, you did exactly what you said you weren't going to do. Like you didn't just attend. You made sure everybody knew you were there. You made sure everybody was listening to you at some point and you made sure that you like when they left, they would bring up your name to their friends and family saying, Oh, this was great because this guy named Ben really helped us along this journey like and it's, and that's where my that's where my ego comes in that's where i find myself really focusing on building myself up because it's really hard for me just to attend it's really hard hard for me to follow
1: okay so what is so ironic right now ben is that you just went on a self-loathing rant <laughs> okay <laughs> While telling me you have such a big ego.
0: <laughs> yeah, so that's what you okay. take. Yeah.
1: yeah, okay. So one of the things that I just heard you say, though, and that's so, or not, I, I can imp- you infer from your, what I just said, from what you just said, is that you, like lots of fours, have a very loud inner critic.
2: hmm
1: definitely. Uh, the stream of negative self-commentary that runs through a one's mind runs through a four's mind just not as continuously right but do you talk to yourself in your brain like that a lot
2: the,
1: the way time. you just did out loud
2: all the time yeah all okay. the time yeah
1: under the microscope
2: yeah i mean a lot of times too the the conversation internally is about manipulation and so a lot of times it's don't manipulate this situation don't manipulate this human you're you're having this experience with don't Stop manipulating it some way, you know, manipulation is a bad, a huge word that has a lot of connotations to it, but like, don't twist this in this moment to make it something that you desire or that you see is right. Just be in it. And like, I feel like that story goes on in my head a lot of the day is just be here, be present, be empathetic, be caring, but don't manipulate.
1: And it's a very fine line, man. Um, and you know, I love that sort of it's a, you know, it's a platitude, but some platitudes are helpful, which is, you know, uh, it's, about, it's about progress, not perfection, mm-hmm. you know? And sometimes, you know, I'm a little older than you, so I've had to learn how to, to oh man, remind myself of, uh, of that uh, a lot and be okay with it. Like, I'm gonna do my best mm. to be the, this person, but at the end of the day, if I get sixty-five percent of the way there, that's that's something to celebrate. You know, you just yeah. smiled when I said that, Ben. Why did you smile when I said that?
2: Well, because I I would have no clue how to celebrate sixty-five percent. Um, mm. Like I I you know like I uh, it was maybe a month ago with my counselor. I sat down. I was like, man, I don't know if I felt true like. Um, just like really, like I've lost myself in laughter in a year. Mm. Like I can't remember the last time I just lost myself in laughter or I felt just like an overwhelming amount of joy and gratitude. And I was like, I want to work towards this because like, I am a believer in a God above I, that I don't just believe that to make me feel better. Like I actually believe this. I'm also a believer in people. Like I love people and I really love people's stories, but, uh, the joy that typically was felt in my life around those things have been lost. And I think it's because I—I I really think it's what you just said. It makes me smile because, like, I think I have, for whatever reason, taught myself that you can't celebrate the sixty-five percent. You've got to celebrate the hundred. And until you get to the hundred, it's not worthy to be celebrated. It's not—you're not there yet. And—and uh, and that's just like—it's funny. I smile because it's like that's where I'm at. Like you—you know—that's the counseling I'm in. That's the—the the process I'm—the progress I'm making.
1: Hmm. Well, man, I hope you get there soon. But also remember this, I think. And again, I, I don't want to be like, you know, coming off as a, a sage. I mean, I'm doing as much work on myself as you are. But, you know, uh, acceptance in my life has been a really important thing. Um, not just self-acceptance, but just also accepting mm-hmm. life on life's terms. You know, mm-hmm. like you are six foot four and you play sports, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, I am five foot seven, and I trip over my feet on the in my bedroom at, on the same corner of the rug every single day. Okay, all right. I do it at night. I do it during. The, it doesn't matter. Okay. So at one level, you know, self acceptance is comes with a sense of humor. It's like you know what, dude, mm-hmm. you are an intense human being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are in your own way kind of odd. Uh, don't let that get your ego inflated. Don't overvalue your or devalue yourself for that. Just realize. I mean, I had a therapist say to me once, I said, you know, I, mean, I can remember, I was like your age when I said this. I said to this person, I said, I just want to feel like I'm one of the guys. Mm-hmm. And this guy looked at me and he rolled his eyes and he laughed and he went, friend, <laughs> if you don't hear anything else today, hear this. You will never be like one of the guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. And you know, at the time I heard that, and it it kind of mm. wounded me a little bit. But as I've gotten older, it's like, you know, there's always going to be this part of Ian Kron that other people are going to sort of go, I don't get it, you know. Mm-hmm. And because, and and why not? Because. I spent half my life looking at parts of Ian Cron going, I don't get it. Why should I, ex- why should I expect anybody else? Yeah. You know? All right. So you're, you're engaged now, right? I am. And what's her name? Jessica. Jessica. That's a lovely name, Jessica.
2: That's beautiful. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a good name. All right. <laughs> How does she deal with you, dude?
2: You know, I, I have a couple things going my way. One is uh, she is. Yeah, the,
1: hold on, I want to get a pencil.
2: Yeah, <laughs> she is the most uh, empathetic, kind, slow to speak, quick to listen person I've ever met. What number is she? Uh, she is a nine.
1: Okay, I have a nine wife. You need to just move in with me.
2: Yeah, you and I. <laughs> I'll just take over your life right now. You and I. <laughs>
1: You're are, you are you're, you're living my life, except you're infinitely more handsome and taller than I am. That's all How I does have to it say. end up? Has it been a good I don't life? Know. It's very, very unfair is what this is, but continue.
2: Um, she's wonderful. And so one of the things I have going for me is just Jessica as a human, just is uh, uh, just like generally the most caring human I've ever met. She like loves hard and loves well and loves pure. Um, she is one of the purest people I've ever met. Like she wants to do what is right. She wants to do what is right for herself, for her family, for her friends consistently. Uh, and like her, her boundaries in life, maybe like she doesn't have to be strict. Like I won't do this. I will do this. But her like are a lot tighter than mine. Like she walks a, a straighter path than I do. Her path doesn't wiggle back and forth too much or go left and right. It's pretty consistent, which helps me uh, a ton. And I also like, I am, uh, one of her only, uh, one of maybe two, I think she would say maybe two, not really like meaningful, like romantic relationships. And so she doesn't know any better. Like she has me, uh, she doesn't have anything to compare it to. She's happy with me. I'm at, I'm thrilled with her. Uh, I've hit the home run and she just doesn't know, you know, that she could do better. And that's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> and that's a great thing. Um, but yeah. And, and and so like we have a really interesting relationship that uh, I, I feel so much peace over. I didn't think I'd ever feel peace mm-hmm. within a romantic relationship. I, I thought I would always have this like little trigger that would be like, you, you won't live up to what she hopes and you won't, you'll fail this somehow. And I just don't like it, it's the first time ever. I just feel super peaceful and super excited about our future together.
1: I had the same experience. You nines and fours are a great combination. Okay, here's the upside. Yeah, right. Okay, that's true. All right. So when both are self-aware and doing their work, it's a great combo because you have what's called uh, like typically labile mood states. Okay, you can you can use labile when you're with your uh, therapist. It means that your moods swing a lot. Like in a course of a conversation, you could go from tears to laughter and back. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like be very deeply moved and then something will really inspire you and make you laugh and then be deeply moved again. Nines don't do that. Nines are, they have equanimity, which is the virtue we have to work toward to to have the ability to kind of just let our feelings remain emotionally in balance, regardless of what life throws at us, we're not good at that. So, a nine is great at it, man. Like, nines are like Hakuna Matata, right? And they, if she's smart in your relationship with you, one of the things an Enneagram teacher would tell her is when Ben is in one of his spaces, right? When he goes to one of those dark spaces, learn how to detach from his emotional, you know, kind of vortex but don't withdraw because he has so many abandonment issues. Mm. So if she can learn to go, okay, I'm here, but I'm not going to get all wrapped up in the craziness of your feelings. I can be present to you while you have them, but not uh, necessarily you know, captured like, by them in a way that's not healthy, right? So that would be, it's one of the great things about nines. One of the things that can be, in my experience with the nine, frustrating at some point in your relationship will be that nines don't have the same level of passion and intensity as the four does. And that can, at a point, become frustrating to the four. It's like, I want more. Like, I really want you to engage. I really want you to not be so peaceful. I want you to be more... Um, like intense and it can be really hard for the four uh, when that happens and so that's been my experience with nines and um, I have a tremendous relationship with my wife we've been married for 31 years and um, I will tell you this that the Enneagram uh, took our marriage from at at the time kind of a five to a nine Hmm. when we both understood ourselves it it was the game changer the enneagram was the game changer of our relationship
2: i i believe that to be true uh one is because the enneagram has uh you know i i took it before i met my fiance and what it really did was enhance my relationship with my family Mm. my parents Mm. i'm an only child um they we all took it about the same time and uh i remember my mom like i like she broke down in tears about it um what's her what's her number uh, i want to say she is a nine as well my dad is a one um it's
1: the mo- by the way the most common marriage couple i see is nines and ones yep.
2: really yeah um yeah and so like my mom has just always been pretty hard on herself and she read this and read that like hey this is when you're the weakest you know you're you're hard on yourself and um, you know, you, you lack maybe like, uh, the motivation, uh, or you feel like you lack motivation or whatever. And, um, I forget the exact things that like really triggered her, but like she broke down and what ended up happening was like, we all understood each other enough, uh, to where like, I just get it now. Like they're not trying, mm. like my dad, especially if he goes to a party, he's really likely to say one word the whole time. And then like the next event, he goes to a party, he could be talking. You couldn't get him to stop talking. And it's like, why now and not last time or like you're a little offensive because you've been so disconnected from from the the conversation in the moment and now I just get that that's who he is and that's what he needs and that's how he reacts and and for me it's really just helped me I guess accept them love them and then because of that you know using it with with my fiance to understand each other better and uh and i guess it's been it's been a great tool for me a really helpful tool for me just to understand and love harder love better and just appreciate people more probably
1: hey typology tribe i want to take a moment to thank our sponsors for helping us bring you what i hope is great content every week now you all know i'm a big proponent of counseling whether you feel like something is interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving certain goals Counseling is a great tool to help identify what those blocks are and then work through them. Yet finding a therapist can sometimes feel intimidating, but not with BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers online counseling at your own time and your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions plus text and chat with your therapist when it's convenient for you. These are licensed professional counselors who specialize in things like depression, anxiety, stress, relationships, LGBT matters, trauma, and grief. BetterHelp has counselors available worldwide and have over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. And get this, if you're not satisfied with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time at no additional cost. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com typologypodcast. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H E L P com slash typology podcast. T Y P O L O G Y P O D C A S T. So I got to ask you this question. Mm-hmm. Um, only child. Yeah. A four, a one father. Now that could be an okay experience, or a not good experience. And you're, smile- and you're smiling.
2: Well, the 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 cool part is my dad and I both have I think the tremendous desire to like and love each other well. So like that's the foundational like block of who what our relationship is. That it, it and so like as a result like he he is going to be the best man in my wedding. Um, I love that man tremendously. I like him. But man, do we see differently. Uh, Like, I don't know if we agree. Like, you know, we're big Cubs fans. So we'll text about the Cubs a lot. Like, even when it comes to sports, we don't agree on half of the analysis. Then when it comes to life, it like probably gets even smaller. Um, Like, we, we don't see eye to eye on much. But I think over time, we've learned to appreciate each other and respect each other enough to know that we each have our own reasons for coming to the conclusions that we do um the weird part is and i don't know if this is me and i'm, I'm a jerk or not since i was little i can like i can uh bait my dad into anything like i i, <laughs> I, I under like my mom laughs like i understand i do and like I, there's not many people in this world i get so i get my dad so much that i can literally Jessica laughs. My fiance, like, I will. I know a situations coming up, and I will tell her. My dad is going to say this. Like, his response will be this. He's going to react this way. And it. And I. I. I don't remember the last time I was wrong. Like, I just. Right. And uh, and uh, I think it makes him pretty angry. Um. But it also <laughs> it also makes us laugh. Um,
0: <laughs> that you goat him, or that that you know him so well.
2: What makes I him think angry? both because yeah. I because I know him so well. So I like. I throw the worm at him often and he bites every time, <laughs> um, <laughs> which I don't know why I do it. I love it. I don't know why I find so much joy in it. Like I, I, it's got to stress. And now he's, <laughs> he's already got a bad heart. Like the, the poor guy, like, um, <laughs> not fun, but yeah, it is. It's like, but our relationship's great. And, uh, but yeah, we definitely don't see eye to eye much. We, as a teenager, we fought like hard, like it was yeah. very contentious. And I think as we get older, it just doesn't, Like that stuff doesn't matter as much there's not as much of us needing to like tell each other how it is
1: okay so uh as we come up on the end of this interview i want to say just one thing about it uh fours are both and thinkers the they're they're non-dualistic thinkers ones are black and white thinkers like they don't see gray right and that can be a very hard thing with a young kid who's a four or a teenager who's a four and can see lots of colors and realizes that life isn't simple. That sometimes there are gray areas and things that you don't know and mystery is OK. Ones don't like mystery. Mm-hmm. Right, like, like fours love mystery. I can walk around an ancient cathedral in Europe and just be higher than a kite, you know? And ones are like, okay, I'm done now. Let's go to the next thing. I mean, you know, and I'm like, I'm just starting to feel the space, man. Like, what are you, what are you, right? And so, I'm glad that you've arrived at this kind of place with your dad because um, I do know some fours with one fathers that it, the relationships have been very, very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, which is why I kind of, you know when you said you had a one dad I was like hmm I need to ask what that relationship was like because it can be really really hard
2: we got to work at it no oh, there's no like we we have to work at it we both recognize it I think it's gotten better since we have but in like my teenage years when I didn't even think like, I had no clue even why I did the things I did oh it was contentious and uh, um, but as you know as we do care and love about each other we we've worked towards at least an understanding but again I don't think if you, if you laid out a topic in front of us, I don't think we're going to see eye to eye on much and man, it's, you know, his messages to me come from a place of so much love, um, so much desire to see what's best for me. Um, and not in a bad way, but like so much simplicity, like so much, just like, man, Ben, that's really hard, but you know, I love you. And like, I want to see what's best for you. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's great. I never doubted that. But like, tell me more about like why I'm processing this. And he's like, I, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't get there.
1: All right. So what would happen if, because what you just said was the way you just described your relationship with your dad was really beautiful. Mm-hmm. What would happen if you could accept the contradictions inside of yourself? with the same kind of generosity and grace and love that you accept your dad?
2: Hmm. We, well, I mean, I think my initial response is I feel like I'd be failing myself. And I say that to say this, I, I feel like the process and the journey is worthwhile. I don't know why, I don't know where I'm trying to go, where I'm trying to get to, but the more introspection and the more critical I am, the more refined I feel like I'm becoming, like the, like I'm, the hand, I'm the clay in the hands of the potter getting molded into something that I just don't know yet and I don't feel yet. Granted, I think at 31, I would have thought that I would have felt it by now, and I haven't, and so I, I think I'm off target a little bit. Uh, the second part of this is I'm in a weird season of life, Ian and Anthony, because I did just finish this book, and this book is a two-year process that, I finished not more than five months ago. And the book is a memoir about these things. And as I'm pulling out like old childhood stories and old high school stories and old middle school stories of like disappointment, pain, rejection, feeling isolated and alone. Like I, I mean, it threw me into counseling because I had pulled back like all these things that I had healed myself and forgiven myself for. And like kind of not suppressed because that sounds unhealthy, but like just covered up in the most healthiest of ways. And I pulled him back out again. And so, like, I am literally right now a human emotion. Like, right. last, yeah. you know, close the yeah. thought, last night my buddy asked me if I wanted to watch this movie that's supposed to be super sad. And I was like, no, because I'll feel it for the next three weeks. Like, I just can't. Um, right. So, yeah, it's an interesting thought. I feel like I'd be falling short would be the best way to answer that. And I don't know if that's good or bad. Well, I
1: can't judge it. But uh, because you are where you're at. And um, but I can tell you that one of the things, one of the gifts that the Enneagram has given me, and I'm not saying I have this nailed. okay, but just the gift of self-friendship to be my own best friend, uh, unconditional self-friendship, like, hey, man, I'm here for you. So that even in my darkest moments, you know, it's like I'm not continuing. Like when I was younger, man, I just pounded on myself constantly. It was never ending. It was this constant litany of not enough. You're not enough. You're not enough. You gotta work harder. You've gotta be better. And, and like I said earlier, you've gotta be better just to, just to a, get to a place where you feel equal to everybody else. Like you gotta work harder to be equal to people around you. Like in terms of value, normalcy, you know, having a sense of ease in the world. Um, and I think one of the gifts maybe of age, but also of the Enneagram has been saying, you know what? That's just, that's just never going to happen. Hmm. Um, you uh, had better learn at some point, I'm talking to myself, not you. Uh, y- you had better learn, Ian, at some point that you are enough. And this constant thrashing around in the water, this constant um, scrupulous self um, investigation to the point that all you're doing is sort of surgery on yourself without anesthesia all the time. It it's, it has not yielded the product you wanted. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? And so. I don't know, maybe part of the journey is doing it until you run out of steam. Uh, I don't know. Um, but I hope you, well, number one, I hope you find really healthy ways of dealing, better, more healthier ways of dealing with it than I did, which were not healthy at all, mm-hmm. uh, of dealing with a lot of that pain, um, medicating it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, you're on the Ford journey for sure, man. I can just tell you that.
2: Yeah, well, and uh, I'm glad I'm glad that I've identified that. Like that in itself is something that's made me feel less alone. You know, the book is funny, right. but it's that in itself has made me feel less alone because at least now, when I do have that Truman Show fear, when I do feel really hard on myself, I can look and say there's other people out there mm-hmm. that are on this journey as well. And so there's obviously nothing maybe intrinsically wrong with me. I'm just different. And I don't know why.
1: Perfect ending. <laughs> in fact, the episode should be called I'm Just Different and I Don't Know Why. <laughs>
0: That's
2: good. Fair enough.
1: So, listen to me. Uh, you've got this new book coming out, Alone in Plain Sight. Drops in what month of 2021?
2: February 2nd, of 2021.
1: Is it available for, for pre sale now?
2: Yeah, it's available pretty much anywhere for pre sale. You can definitely find it at benhigginsbook.com. That would be the best way uh, for me if you went out and pre-ordered it.
1: Right. Okay. Well, we can do that. And then um, you've got uh, your podcast, Almost Famous, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's on iHeart. It's three years going if you're into pop culture and you want some stuff just to listen to, to you know, take some mindless time. That's the podcast for you.
1: Right. And I don't want to jump off of this conversation. and We didn't even get a chance to go in this route uh, without mentioning Generous Coffee.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's a... Uh, in short, um, ten years ago, my buddy started a nonprofit that I've been a part of since then. And uh, fundraising is is from The Bachelor was really great. It really like tripled our fundraising annually, and we needed we needed we knew we needed to find a sustainable way to fundraise because I wasn't going to be The Bachelor forever, and I didn't know how much time I had left in any relevancy. So we started a company called Generous Coffee. We source coffee uh, from all over the world. Uh, It's specialty grade. We sell the coffee here in the United States along with mugs and t-shirts and we donate 100% of our profits, which is about 10% of our revenue uh, to nonprofits, uh, many nonprofits and organizations that are fighting human injustice around the world. So that's been my job. Uh, I've been the acting president for the last two and a half years of that. And uh, it's been a joy. It's a gift. It's a passion project. Um, Luckily, I'm able to do it. But uh, yeah, if you like coffee... And uh, you drink coffee. I, I just ask that you go to generouscoffee.com, check it out, order it. Um, and uh, we will make sure to supply with good coffee and then donate on the back end.
0: Mm.
1: Well, Ben Higgins, man, you are a four brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, like if someone said to me, hey, at the end of that conversation, did you think he might be a three? Nope, 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 <laughs> nope. This dude is legit, man. He is a four through and through. And it sounds like, do you know anything about subtypes?
2: Uh, like the wings?
1: No. Okay, I'll send you some stuff.
2: Okay, perfect.
1: Because you're a particular kind of four. Uh, there's three different versions of the four. And uh, you're, you're an interesting version. Um, and uh, it would be another layer of you know, another added layer of insight that would even be more mm-hmm. helpful to you mm-hmm. to understand yourself. Please send um, it. Yeah, I will. Hey, I've loved being with you. Um, and man, I feel like I was just talking to my younger self for the last hour. <laughs> like, I really have. I've been like, oh my gosh. In fact, I'm talking to my current self and my former self all at the same time.
2: You don't know how much, like, honestly, you don't know how comforting that actually feels and is to hear. So, hey, thank you for having me. It's been great to talk to you both. And uh, yeah, seriously, it's comforting to know that you've walked this path uh, in front of me and that uh, it's turned out all right for you. So, So I'm pretty pumped myself.
1: It has. Typology listeners, thanks for being with us. Don't forget the words of the great Oscar Wilde, be yourself, everybody else is already taken. Until next time.